0: I think it was super exciting at the time and I kind of just, you know, took it and was really happy I got it, but everything was completely out of my comfort zone. I think that was one of the most challenging things that I've probably ever faced and that was really something that I think you had to be really resilient. And there was days when I was like, oh my God, I need to go home. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. But then I think it really made me a lot stronger in terms of it got me out of that comfort zone. My mom was, you know, completely distraught. She thought, you've done four years at Warwick University. You've got an amazing degree and now you're going to be a travel rep in Mallorca. And then I go away and I'm like, why did I think of that? And then Yardi came along and I was like, oh God, what do I know about technology and systems? And I was super, super scared actually to do it but I really loved it and so I got it and then I had this plan which never really happened
1: which was hi Maggie. thanks so much for joining me on the podcast um same first question as you've listened to a couple of episodes already you'll know what it is what's the hardest change that's happened to you in your life
0: so, hi Gareth, um, so lovely to be on your podcast. First of all, um, I think one of the biggest challenges is probably, um, I guess first of all moving to London after kind of. Um, living in kind of this bubble in Coventry. And I went to, you know, in terms of where I grew up, I grew up in Coventry and I went to Warwick University. And that was really, you know, a big change for me. But in the sense of, you know, if anyone's familiar with Coventry and Warwick, it's very, very close to home. And, you know, I still had all of my comfort around me. My mum was really close and she could always come and, you know, help me with things. And, you know, university is quite a challenging part of your life anyway, because you're trying to find your feet, trying to find who you are. And I think, you know, in then once I kind of finished that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I first of all, I went and did a little stint in Mallorca as a travel rep with Thomas Cook, which was interesting, to say the least. It taught me a lot of different things. But then, you know, I came back and I wanted to kind of, you know, start my career in something. And I decided to take up a graduate programme in London with Premier Inn. It was actually a new concept, it was Hub by Premier Inn, which is essentially, I don't know if you ever stayed in one, but it's essentially like the more kind of tech driven sister brand of your Premier Inn. And I think it was super exciting at the time. And I kind of just, you know, took it and was really happy I got it. But I think actually moving to London and having to stand on my own two feet was really difficult. And I think no one really prepares you for London living number one, which is, you know, this crazy, busy, huge city. And I think the other thing is as well that in terms of things like the living situation, everything was completely out of my comfort zone because I was sharing with strangers, I was sharing in a house of five, having to do everything by myself and navigate around London, first of all. So that was, I think that was one of the most challenging things that I've probably ever faced. And that was really something that I think you had to be really resilient. And there was days when I was like, oh, my God, I need to go home. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. But then I think it really made me a lot stronger in terms of it got me out of that comfort zone. And even though I found it challenging a lot, I think it really prepped me for kind of where I'm now going into my career. And also, you know, moving out of that kind of bubble that I was in, not having all of that comfort. It really pushes you to be stronger as a person.
1: So what was what was most difficult about about making that move? know and living with strangers as you said
0: yeah so I think it was really the fear of kind of the unknown to be honest initially because I didn't know who they were I got this sort of crappy estate agency who didn't really tell me much I went and saw it once and didn't really ever see it again until moving day and I think that was really hard and I think there wasn't really any kind of so the people that I lived with they were great but they were kind of really into that kind of London living where I think we are guilty sometimes of we're so caught up in our own lives that there's not really any other time and I'm guilty of it as well we don't kind of sit back and like see is anyone struggling does anyone need any help and they were very much like that you know busy working individuals we all had different routines and all of that so I think that was the most difficult trying to actually you know find somebody that i could have as support in terms of telling me you know where things are or how things work here and i think the other thing that was really difficult is that as part of the graduate program with premier Inn, and i think it's a great thing in hindsight but you have to basically do all of the roles that you're going to eventually manage so you had to do kind of two months in each role and my first role was housekeeping in hotels and as you can imagine it was just kind of exhaustion it was tiredness I was doing the exact same kind of shifts and patterns and I think that was just really overwhelming because when you kind of Graduate university, you think, oh, I'm going to go into a really amazing office job, and I'm going to, you know, dress smart and things. And actually, the reality of it is, especially if you're going to hospitality, that isn't the case at all. So I think it was just adjusting to that and kind of managing what my expectations were to then what reality was.
1: Yeah, so I did a year in uh, in hospital. Well, I spent many years in hospitality, but I did a year in hospitality doing my degree. You know, doing a sandwich degree, and and I always remember that. Uh, well I thought I was fairly good at most roles and then I went to housekeeping and I was just dreadful at it (laughs)
0: so <laughs> difficult it's really and I applaud anyone in that role because it's so physically and mentally demanding and I think you know we take it for granted sometimes and you can be so quick when I was in you know the managerial role then at the hotel I was kind of like trying to empathize with them more because I'd done the role so if there was you know a little scarf or if there was a dust mark and so on you you have to just really have that kind of in you and I think the only reason I was empathizing so much them is because I did it and I know how hard it is otherwise I just think I would have taken it as you know okay they're not really doing a great job or you know so I think it's really important that we all do something like that in our role where it's you don't just start straight at the top and managing because I don't think you can manage people if you don't understand what they have to do on a day-to-day basis
1: I think that's great advice I think so going back obviously you said you grew up in Coventry and then and went to Warwick did you live out or did you live at home when you were studying at Warwick <laughs>
0: So funnily enough, I actually lived out in my first year. I lived in on um, kind of campus halls, and that was great, you know, meeting a lot of new people. And I was really conscious that I wanted to do that because I didn't want to, you know, my sister actually did a similar thing and she'll say I copied her and everything in life, but that's <laughs> not true. Um, but she did actually do a degree, the same degree as I did at university, and she lived in. And I just I I saw that sometimes she was missing out on things, you know, like she'd have to come home at X time because Maybe the public transport, one of us would have to give her a lift. So I was really conscious that I wanted to be part of that kind of first year. And, you know, you have that mentality that you have to make your group of friends in that first year. Otherwise, you'll be alone in the next years of university. So and that's not true, by the way, at all. There's people that you meet and come and go the whole time. But I did live out. And then in my second, third and fourth year, because I did a joint honours, I lived back home. um, But, you know, I got my driving licence and I was able to do all of that stuff but it's such a different experience
1: would you change that now you know, having would you live out the whole time live at home the whole, t- mm. the whole time
0: so I think actually I would probably whoever and also and if I was listening to this that has gone through or is going through that I would say I probably made the mistake of having my university a little bit too close to home I think I still had that comfort and that bubble so close to me that I didn't fully you know be out there and I could always go running back to my mum and so on so I think the the only thing I would say that I would change is that I would probably move where I choose to you know have my university it's simply because I think when you're close to home, it doesn't let you get that full, for experience because, you know, Leamington Spa was where we'd go out and for everyone that was so new, but that's so close to where I am. So I already knew. So I think that would be what I would say. And I would say you don't have to live out the whole time. I think I know with the cost of living and everything, it's actually getting really, really competitive now. But I think at least try a couple of years or even just one like I did to live out and really just learn to stand on your own two feet.
1: Yes, you did that when you when you moved to London. So you you chose to do business and law. Why did you why did you choose that?
0: So I was always, to be honest, not anything kind of, oh, it was inspiring or anything. I was always quite good at business. So in A-levels, in GCSEs, kind of all of that, that was really kind of one of my strongest points, you know, and I really did enjoy that. And, you know, I thought it's something that I'm good at and I'm going to play to my strengths. So I'm going to do that. With the law side, I think I'd always been interested in it, but I was never kind of 100% into, you know, do I want to be a lawyer? Do I, what is a lawyer, solicitor, you know, a barrister and so on. And I think the fact that I could do both in my degree was something that I think was really useful for me because I got to see a glimpse of both and also I didn't really want to close myself into only having that business degree I wanted to you know after university maybe I could explore the legal side maybe I could explore the business side and I think that was basically the decision as to why I took that joint honours.
1: So then was it next you went to Mallorca was that that will happen yes everything
0: went out of the plan (laughs) the whole life plan that was made up throughout university absolutely went to part um so yeah I mean to be really honest I think once I once you finish university it's really weird because I think especially with somewhere like Warwick there's so many people that you know and I will be very honest I come from a very kind of working class background and there are others you know who are more fortunate in the sense that their parents are in that profession they've got you know barrister parents lawyers and so on And I think their connections are stronger but also they're more equipped to you know put in those applications to that you know the the, the five in London or do kind of more equipped for that so I think when I left university I didn't really Have a plan as sort of most of my peers did, which were they'd already had, you know, a vax scheme in law and they were going to go into kind of a fully blown training contract. I didn't really have that and I think I wanted to do something which was completely different that didn't require me to put any pressure on myself in terms of I have to be somewhere that everyone else is and I think that's why I just went you know for six months I just thought I'm gonna just diminish all responsibility I'm gonna go out there and meet some new people but also you know all jokes aside that job did so I was kind of meeting greeting people on holiday and so on it did actually teach me a lot of communication skills and it opened me up to people that I would never have otherwise crossed paths with because you know your circle of friends at school your circle of friends at university you don't ever you know go ahead and meet a couple maybe 60 70 year old couple sharing their life thoughts with you because it just doesn't happen unless it's in your role or you you stumble across them so I think you know even though it's a lot of people laugh when I say it I actually think in terms of life lessons learned it was a really eye-opening experience
1: it's funny like you talked about throwing yourself outside of your comfort zone and we'll come on to you know other roles you've been in but you know as I read your story it feels like you're constantly throwing yourself out of your comfort zone even though you you said you found it quite difficult was it like that when when you were out there with Thomas Cook
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, imagine, you know, going to Majorca, and I'd never even been to Majorca, by the way, before this point. And, you know, you get you get picked up, you get given this uniform. I even had a car, God knows how they trust me to drive it on the (laughs) other side of the road. Um, And basically, you know, you have to go out there and you have to, you know, provide that service and, you know, selling the trips and things like that. And that was, you know, really different for me, because I'd never done anything like it before. But I actually loved it. And I must admit, you know, and when we talk about the other things that I've gone on to do, I always have this thing in my head that, sometimes I feel like I'm going to do something completely different to what I do now, because it will teach me something new. And even if it doesn't work, if I get fixated on something, I have to do it. And it's not that, you know, I want to, you know, make my life a living hell or anything like that. But it's more that I think we need to keep changing, we need to keep pushing ourselves into these situations, in order for us to be, you know, to to know how to deal with anything that comes at you in life. And that's really why I did it. And my mum was, you know, Know, completely distraught she thought you've done four years at warwick university you've got an amazing degree and now you're going to be a travel rep in mallorca you can imagine <laughs> she was so distraught but you know and then i came back and she, she was really happy for me and i didn't actually have a lot of contact with them when i was out there so i would call them and things but they didn't come out and i didn't come back um and and i came back you know different i was more mature i was more ready to kind of do you know adult things in the world so yeah
1: um Again, we'll come on to the other roles, but one thing that struck me from from reading all the roles that you've done, including your current one, again, which we'll talk about later, is they've always been customer facing. So you know, whether that we Premier Inn, Thomas Cook, who's for students, and and currently with Yardy, it always feels like you've been customer facing. Uh, yet you studied law and business at university, so I wonder where that comes from to you know that sort of that customer facing you know you're either one of those people or not right you know Mm. (laughs) know, like you end up in a customer facing role you know were your parents in in similar roles or you know how, how did you come to do that
0: so I think my my parents so my mum is definitely I'm um, definitely you know my mum's daughter we are very similar in personality and she's always been in kind of customer facing roles and she's very much in um the care sector so she works with you know people with um learning difficulties and, and things like that and you know I always admired her for the work that she did and before that she was in kind of hospitality type things my dad was complete opposite he's very kind of you know in himself doesn't really socialize and engage and I think the one thing that i've always loved since i was little is that i love to be around people i love to speak to people and i think that was the main kind of driver in all of these roles is that i don't want to be cooped up in you know an office where i never actually speak see or you know see the experience of something that i'm selling or something that i'm talking about or working on to see how that actually affects the end person so i think being in those customer roles first of all I love to speak as you could probably see but also I just I think I just learn a lot from I'm kind of like a, a sponge I take a lot from other people and I think that's what I'll always sort of do and that's what I've always been drawn to um things like numbers you know number crunching financy type things have never really been something that are you know my, my my strength so I think the other thing that I do to kind of you know have the balance is i do a bit of that but actually the majority of it is speaking to people and delivering service in whatever role that might be
1: so we briefly touched on uh, the hub by premier in the management training scheme and for you know and i mentioned that i did something similar for for anyone that's not been through a year in that going around different departments tell them what that's like
0: the nice version (laughs) um no so it sounds like I'm super negative about it and actually I'm not I think when when I look back on it it was one of the most stressful but you know rewarding times I think you need to be prepared to graft you need to be prepared to get really stuck in and I think you know going into and I was doing things like you know night shifts with the night team then I was doing housekeeping and so on I think you need to have kind of any kind of you know preconceptions any expectations out of the window I think companies have this thing where you know you look and you speak to kind of I guess senior or managerial type roles and they'll tell you it's this is the process and this is what everyone does and so on and it's not really until you do that role or you work with the people that are actually on that front line every day that you actually understand that things are a little bit different to that that's been portrayed for instance and not all processes are well and I think that's okay, I think people need to kind of understand that nowhere is going to be perfect and you should never expect kind of what you get at face value from a company in the sense that unless you've done it for a while and you understand, you know, the people, the way that it works, I think you'll never really know. So I think don't be scared of it is what I would say. I think be prepared to work hard, be exhausted, sometimes question why you're doing it, but at the same time, believe me when I say it teaches you so much and the other thing that I think it taught me so much is that any time now that when I've been in managerial roles at the moment I don't manage a team in my current role but in student accommodation and when I was the manager at the premier inn and the hotels it teaches you a lot about kind of empathy and real life problems in terms of if your team are late one day or if they have an issue or maybe they're underperforming I think you can understand it more because you know kind of the exhaustion and the, the habits that they have at work and so on. So I think it teaches you a lot more than just about that role. It teaches you how to kind of be in kind of a people's person and also really just empathise with what they're going through. And there was always, you know, one, I had met this amazing, amazing lady um, at the, the hotel and I was doing housekeeping and, you know, she had three children Um, she was a single mother and she was you know working day in day out and she was just exhausted And she had to do everything not only obviously in work at 100% full speed but also at home and I think you know and there were days when she was the you know the happiest person you will ever meet but then there was other days where you know things would get on top of her and I think we need to be more empathetic towards that because a lot of people face that and I think you, you see actually that a lot of people mask what they're actually going through. And we put on a brave face, which is great. But I think it's also okay to be vulnerable sometimes and ask for help.
1: I think uh, that's absolutely right. And I think uh, I think we'd recommend anyone to to spend some time working in a hotel or a hospitality business. percent you... yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it, Gareth, what did
0: you find about that? Like, what were your takeaways?
1: Uh, I mean, again, you know, you, you've, you find an ability to keep going. I'm not quite sure where that comes from, particularly on lack of sleep. And yeah. and yeah and I think you're right about putting a mask on I think you know it was very much you know you, you are taught that front of house and back of house and you're almost on stage you know it's a cliche yeah. in the hospitality industry like you know front of house is stage but it's but it's right you become an actor you know your your personal life your stress your worrying about the big conference you've got tomorrow whilst you're trying to deal with the small one you've got yeah. today you know I think it's you know I think it definitely teaches you a lot of a lot of resilience um you know and i think i read something recently about resilience and it really applied to hospitality was um uh, i don't want to misquote it but it, it's it's not about your ability to keep going it's your ability to bounce back and i think that's mm. you know you're constantly you know doing that in hospitality when things don't necessarily go as you'd expect so uh, <laughs> which
0: happens a lot right
1: <laughs> talking about roles where things happen that you don't expect you then went to work in student accommodation talk to me about that
0: yeah I did so I um you know kind of did the the hotels for a while and then I thought you know I want something different I um you know I want something where you know I'm working still in kind of the front front facing role but something you know a little bit different and also a little bit more responsibility so I moved to yeah the kind of the property manager um at homes for students and I was managing three properties in London and to say the least that was another kind of throwing me in at the deep end at the, you know to be really honest because students are a whole different category number one i mean you know you think hospitality is 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 you know challenging i think with students you know and i i completely get it you know that they're in a new place and we all went to you know whoever did go to university will understand it and they don't know you know what, what, how to to do things or how to do things adult thing like laundry and clean the rooms and things like that and i don't blame them but i think it was really i think it was it was great as an experience but i think that it also taught me a lot about what you should actually be delivering against kind of the the resource and the budgets that you have so you know a lot of people might think that if they've got a problem where they're living you know the rental or the student accommodation that they'll put in the maintenance request and you know if it doesn't get sorted typically they will say you know it's the property manager's fault it's the maintenance team that you know they're not bothered to do it or lazy and I think actually what I did face a lot there was that actually in terms of resource and budgets and constraints and so on there are so many other different levels to it than what you think is kind of just at the property team so it's about you know are the investors putting in the amount of resource is there you know people that are for instance we, we've not got the budget for it or we've overspent or we've got other priorities are you need to fix x before you fix y so I think that was a lot of kind of I would say it's a juggling act there that was definitely I was juggling so many different balls in terms of you know the property issues like buildings are hard especially when and i would actually I would say not only especially when they're old because even new ones you know snagging issues things like that contractor supplies all of it but I think the other thing that was really difficult is also kind of trying to deliver for those students and I think it's different in a hotel because in a hotel you know they come and go they'll be there one two nights maybe a bit longer and then you know they'll, they'll leave and maybe you know you've managed to change their view of your hotel in that's kind of two three days or not but with student they're living there all the time and I feel like there was a greater responsibility to ensure that we were doing what was best for those students and you know mixed in with kind of your maintenance and your property issues were also things like mental health of students and it was things that I was never never exposed to in the hotels and you know there there's a lot of things like you know counselling services that were coming in and it was brilliant to see all the support but also you know what do you do and how do you know what to do when a student comes to you and says you know I'm, I'm having a really hard time Um, and I, I think that was kind of something which I did learn quite quickly and it was something that was really quite prevalent and I was always kind of a bit blind to it I think in previous roles, because I never had, you know, young people living in the place that I'm operating or or managing. And they really do become like your little family. And you then you then start being invested in them. And I'm the kind of person that, you know, if if something's wrong, it will play on my mind until I fix it, or I know that it's sorted. So it did take quite a kind of a mental, not just physical toll on me, if I'm honest, The, the, the whole kind of student the student I guess accommodation being around students and so on
1: I think that's that's really important message and particularly for you know this bubble of student accommodation which you you know you still very much operate in in current role which we'll talk about but you know I think the role that the property manager or whatever they're called in particular operator is you know that knowing that when they go home those students are still living there and and you do become responsible for them, um, yet you're also a landlord, and you're just, you just know, yeah. you're, uh, you're renting rooms to people. It, I think that line of responsibility is really hard to tread, um, and I think those that that are good at it tend to tread the side that they look after the students you know, as much as they yeah possibly exactly. Can. So then you went to work for Yardi in a tech role, so again another pivot perhaps out of your comfort zone perhaps not mm. so so how did that role come about
0: so I think you know I had done student for a little while and as I mentioned you know there was the. I'm I'm quite kind of a, I would say I'm quite a I was a sensitive soul in the sense that I not in the sense of like my day-to-day and the way that I you know um you know come across on things like you know work environment but you know talking about kind of the mental toll it has on you working with individuals and so on and I found that it was just a constant struggle for me and student to provide you know what I thought was best for them and then also meet the demands of the business and the investors and so on so I kind of said you know I need a break from it all and I actually left that role with nothing else planned. And that was scary, because I was like, Oh, I'm not getting an income this month, you know, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I think I just really kind of took my time and People always say, you know, apply to as many jobs as possible and someone will come back. And, you know, it's kind of quantity game, not quality. And I actually didn't take that advice at all from a lot of, you know, my friends who were saying it, because my idea was that I left that role because I wanted something better for me. I don't want to just go into something else because it's all that there was. And I was lucky, you know, I was fortunate. I had a little bit of savings, so I could get by a couple of months. And I really just kind of, you know, spoke with recruiters first of all and recruiters are I would say on the whole the ones I had were we're great I mean some of them are a little bit I would say a little bit pushy at times a little bit kind of they try and draw you into things which perhaps you hadn't really you know kind of thought about before so you'll say I want to do x role and then they'll give you something totally different and you're like "Mm, not sure if it's for me and then I think if you, you get to the point where you're like right am I going to take this because I need a job or am I going to be stand true and firm to what I said at the beginning which is I want to move when it's right and I actually didn't really apply to that many places I had a couple where it was very much kind of it was still kind of operational roles which were you know it was a boutique hotel was one of the roles managing that and so on and it was things that I'd always done before and then yardie came along and I was like oh god what do I know about technology and systems you know and I thought oh god I'm not going to be good at this role and you know, I had the interview and I thought to myself, this is never going to happen. You know, I'm not going to get this role. It's not really something, but I said, I want to try it because I want to understand more about it. And I met, you know, my current manager, funnily enough now, and there's a couple of other people who are, you know, great colleagues still of mine at the moment. It just changed. I just thought, yeah, I want to be part of it. And even though I never really that been that techie, Thinking about it logically, I'd worked with this technology that we're now selling my whole career, because in the hotels, we had the technology, then I went to student and so on. So I thought, you know, how hard could it be? Um, And yeah, I never really looked back. And I've been here coming up to four years now, which is scary. But yeah, the story is always, you know, when people say, you know, have you always been into tech? And do you, you know, did you always know you wanted to do this? And there's no point lying about it. You know, no, I had no idea. And actually I've just fallen into something which I'm quite good at now. Um, and it was the good best decision for me. But I think that's really important to anyone also listening though, that you always have kind of in your mind something that I think you think you're good at and then you want to do it. But I think don't ever kind of, shy away from other opportunities which are a little bit different because actually it could grow into something which is great and I think that's really important because if I hadn't done that I wouldn't be in the role that I am today
1: Is it you weren't very techie are you techie now
0: no <laughs> <laughs> um I'm getting better but I would say as well you know in terms of techie and what we do at Yardy you know and, and you you'll know kind of the system and I won't kind of go into any of the techie side But I think it's not really about being techy. It's about knowing how you can use a software to actually help you in your day to day. You know, and I look back so many times, and when I show other people Yardy products, and they're like, actually, that would really help us. The first thing I think when something new comes out is god I wish I had that when I was in you know the student accommodation role or I wish the maintenance guy had that app because it would have helped him and you know and I, and I still think about those individuals you know and more that we could have done from a tech perspective but you know it's one of those things it will keep growing and it will keep changing and you know in five years time there'll probably be something that will do all of it for us and we will not need to think about it anymore um so yeah I think um it's definitely been something really different and I would actually say that this is probably the happiest I've been in my role in my career today
1: and one thing i i know you do having been part of it um, is doing product demonstrations now um for somebody that says they you know aren't the most techy although you perhaps are now do you get nervous doing a product demo
0: um, all the time. I won't <laughs> lie. Um, you'd think four years into it, you wouldn't get nervous anymore and you'd treat it as just like, you know, any other demo, but I would say, yeah, I do because, um, you know, you want to you have a very a lot kind of small time slot to to show these people what the system does. And it's not just about showing you, you know, click this button and it does this. It's about engaging you to the point where you think, actually, she's given me what it does, but also the benefit. And I can see how that will help me. So I think, you know, if I ever was to, I think, not be nervous about it, then I'd probably signal to me that I need a change. Um, Because I think it's good to have nerves. I think obviously, you know, don't you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be nervous to the point where, you know, you're facing kind of anxiety and things like that. But I think a little bit of nerves are always important because for me, I'm very much if I have a deadline or if I have, you know, some sort of pressure. Now, this isn't kind of, you know, pressure that I have to deliver a thousand word report back the next morning because that's crazy and I haven't done anything to it. But if I had kind of pressure or even in a demo environment where there's an audience, I think it's always good to have a little bit of nerves because that adrenaline just keeps you going. And I won't lie, you know, sometimes it's really hard. Um, you know, you you have kind of the product overviews which are maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and you know, you, you wow them and they love it and they want to see more. But then you also do get times when they don't get it. They don't, you know, or they don't maybe they've got a preconception about what the product does or maybe they've already got something else there's a political issue within the organization where they don't want to change and I think you know we're asking a big thing somebody that has known a system their whole life or or for a couple of years and they're comfortable with it we're saying to them oh scrap that you know use our system because it's best so I think you need to have that kind of adrenaline those nerves but also to keep up that energy because you know they're spending a lot of money on kind of software and I think it's only right that we deliver to them the best kind of demo or the best you know rfp or anything like that that we can because it's a really serious issue for them and their organization
1: I think and the reason I asked the question is obviously we've talked through all your different roles and how they've added pieces to and I wonder which bits of those you know, because I've sat in in product demos, and you know, I, I always try to have empathy for the person doing it because you're right. Normally, the audience is a bit mixed. You know, there's some people that may not want it, aren't that interested, think it's going to be painful changing, and then you've got the the people, usually like me as a big fan of software, going, "Come on, we need this. Let's that's great. Let's go." <laughs> um, and that's the reason I ask it's nervous because I always think that you know, preparing for those demos must be really tough. But I'm wondering, you know, do you draw on your your experience in whether it be in Premier Inn or Thomas Cook or even, you know, with with homes for students, just trying to, you know, putting on that performance is kind of a performance, right?
0: It is. Absolutely. It's a performance. And I think, you know, I have it's funny because my friends joke about this and they, they're they like are you going into presenter mode now and I'm like okay don't disturb me it's presenter mode and it's you know it's not about putting on like you know a, a fake conversation or dialogue but it is very much a show you know and I I always say to people especially you know whenever you're presenting you will all always have nerves so for instance that and I can draw upon other experiences so funnily enough with Thomas Cook you know I had to pick people up from the airport. and you know when you go on the coach and they tell you you know welcome to Mallorca and this is you know on the left you have xyz and so on you know that was nerve-wracking for me I was like what if they don't you know don't understand me or what if they hate me and things like that you know always these things in the back of your mind and I think it's only if you like you have to practice it and practice it and practice it I think if you shy away from opportunities to do it and I mean my job doesn't let me do that now but I think for anyone listening who doesn't Have a job where they're presenting all the time. I think it's really important that you take the opportunities if you are given them or ask for opportunities to speak in public or to an audience of people because I think it helps you with your confidence. Number one, and you know, no one is born with confidence in the sense that no one knows how to present or no one knows how to, you know, pronounce the words or say, you know, you have to pick all of this up. And I think the only way you'll learn is if you do it a lot of those times. And the other important thing of that is that if you are scared to do something I think the more you do it you can start controlling those kind of nerves or that anxiety and don't get me wrong I get it all the time you know we I had to present last year to in our annual conference Yask Um, And I was in kind of the opening session and there was a lot of more kind of senior people with me. And, you know, I look up to them. They're, you know, people that I want to be like one day. And I was asked to do it. And I was like, oh God, are they sure they've got the the right person and so on? But, you know, I did it and I was super scared. And the night before my nerves were, oh God, what if I say something wrong? But actually it doesn't matter because people don't hang, hang on to a word you didn't pronounce right. People don't do that. In fact, actually what I think is, people want to see someone who is engaging and you could say anything to them. As long as you're engaging them, I think you've got them.
1: I think that's right. And it's, you know, I've said before on this podcast that when I go back and edit afterwards, I never really edit what the guest says. It's always if I've said something and I'm getting better at that, trying to overcome that, you know, sort of, but, but yeah, just, you just need to talk. And as long as you're engaging with people, I think that's absolutely right. So, so talking about yardi um, you know, we were talking before, before we start recording about how, you know, people associate Yardie mainly with residential in the US. Mm. Um, how is it growing in the UK now?
0: Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, I mentioned a few times about how I have been here for coming up to four years now. And I think even in the time that I've been here, it's changed massively. So for anyone kind of that is familiar with Yardie, essentially, what are I would say the core offering is, is very much, you know, that our messaging is that it's one single database. It's one solution. And before, you know, that we had a lot of kind of, we had Voyager, which was kind of your, and I would like to think of Voyager as kind of the, the the kind of the bread and butter of what we did, which was, you know, hardcore kind of accounting, financial reporting and so on. And that was really, really great. And I think, the problem was that we, we've we kind of seen, though, is that, you know, there's users that don't necessarily need to have that view. There's people that want to just see a snippet of information about that property, where it's the maintenance, where it's, you know, the leasing team, where it's someone that's going on the property website. And that's really kind of where the technology is being driven into kind of these user friendly dashboards where i don't need to you know digest loads and loads of information before i can access what i need i can have a dashboard which is you know visually nice to see i can click into the information i can drill into it as quick as i need depending on what my role is and i think that is kind of the main place that we're headed to with the products in terms of that user experience and the ease of use and then the other thing you know as i mentioned when we were kind of just talking before you know, the dialogue now is that we are very much trying to strengthen and stabilize more and more the product, which is, you know, in residential. Now, in residential, we I started off and we were kind of, you know, building on, I guess, the build to rent product, So things like the marketing and the leasing. But actually, I think now we're coming to a point where, We've done that and we've done it really well, but actually now, you know, in terms of we've got student and co-living and kind of all of the other variances of of residential and rental in the rental sector, but actually now we're really well equipped to kind of have solutions for our clients, which either focus just on that, you know, kind of student or bill to rent and so on, or also that mixed portfolio. And we're seeing a lot of that clients, you know, saying, we've got built to rent, we want to do student, or we've got a student, we want to have a little branch of, you know, private rented accommodation, and so on. So I think that's where the product's headed. And it's really exciting time, because the development team are working super hard in terms of, you know, making the changes, trial and error, you know, some things aren't always going to be perfect. But those are then, of course, you know, gone into testing and multiple times. And so, on. so I think, We're trying to do things now which are kind of more UK-led as opposed to some people thinking that we develop only in the U.S., And then it comes down to here. And I think that's the one thing that I think is really important that actually, for instance, with student, student in the UK is very much being led by what is happening on the ground in the UK, talking with people within the sector. Some of our clients who are using the product really being a dialogue and a partnership with them to learn what they need, as opposed to it was developed in the US and it's trickling down. It's actually this, the UK is what's driving that at the moment.
1: So. Can you give us a sneak peek of anything exciting that, that Yadi you are know, developing at the moment that you're allowed to talk about, of course?
0: That I'm allowed to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have at the moment, we are working on launching... Are automated, um, it's called chatbot, actually. So using things like, you know, and I don't know if you've been on Chat GPT and I I I went through a time when all I was doing was trying to quiz it and ask it questions and things, and you know, and people are doing crazy things on it, like write me an essay and things like that. So we're essentially, you know, kind of on that kind of same line as automated communications and using artificial intelligence. Um, we are actually launching something which is basically a chatbot which enables for on your marketing websites or for residents whoever that may be that actually what they can do is they can go ahead and get information quickly and that could either be you either want to speak to a human because that's still super important and the worst thing I have when I go into a, a website is you know bot saying I don't understand the question um so we have two options which we're basically throwing out which is either you say I want to speak to someone live and you have a dialogue with them back and forth Um, online or via text and so on. Or actually for things like, where can I schedule a tour or where can I do X, Y, Z? There's a bot which actually helps to not only give you an answer quicker, But also actually what that bot is doing is it's constantly learning from what it's being asked. So it's using artificial intelligence, but it's also using what our clients and, you know, whoever that is, what their kind of FAQs and commonly used questions are to get better answers, to give them stronger kind of answers to questions and things. So yeah, watch this space. Artificial intelligence is not just chat GPT and it's definitely something that we are embracing.
1: So, it's come a long way since Voyager. Uh, now we're talking about chatbots <laughs> and AI. Um, so uh, a bit of a double-edged question, so forgive me, but if there was one thing you're campaigning for the development team to to uh, design or implement, or is it something customers are asking, particularly in the UK, what's the one thing that you're campaigning for uh, for hmm. to be developed?
0: that's a really good question and i think it's unfair for me to say that it's you know i've thought of it on my own because i think you know as you do demos and things i can't take credit because there's people you know the people ask me things sometimes and i'm like you know that's a really good question <laughs> and then i go away and i'm like why didn't i think of that um i i think the the thing that is really really important at the moment is um that we're kind of looking into, but it's still something that's really kind of ambiguous is actually, you know, in terms of, I don't know if you ever heard the term dynamic pricing. So dynamic pricing really is different to everyone. But I think the reason I would like to see something happen with it is simply because... With the cost of living and kind of everything happening, I think it's it's really kind of easy for a lot of people to say, you know, we're trying to drive prices down and so on. And I think in terms of the pricing, I think what needs to happen is you can't set prices of accommodation once a year and think that's going to be fine for the rest of the year because things change. You're either you know going to put your prices down slightly, you might raise them when there's a little bit more demand. And I think actually that there needs to be something which works out how much demand actually is there realistically for that particular room or whatever and actually what would be the ideal price point for that so i think that's one of the things that we've been asked a lot actually by our clients and clients mostly ask it to drive prices up whereas actually what i want to see is a fair price that's being added so Ie, if things aren't very much in demand or they're trying to get rid of the last few something that can enable it to even go down but with sort of some logic behind it and so on
1: moving a completely different topic you're qualified to teach zumba i am <laughs> God knows Where you
0: gave me that
1: <laughs> where did that come from
0: so when I was at university, I actually started taking Zumba classes and I loved it. And it was something super different. And to be honest, I will say, you know, firsthand, I absolutely hate running on a treadmill or, you know, being in a gym environment. I just I hate it. It, it daunts me every time I go there. I'm like, don't know really what I want to do I'm tired I want to go home and actually even plucking up your mindset to go to the gym in the first place is is really hard for for people and me included so I started doing classes because again it's that thing I like to be around people and somebody needs to motivate me and tell me to you know push myself for me to do it and that's very much true with exercise so I went to classes and I really loved it and I thought to myself you know I could maybe you know try my dow hand this. so then I went on to and I think it was an online course that you did and then you had to give your kind of exam which was you had to build up a routine and do it in front of an audience and I was super super scared actually to do it but I really loved it and so I got it and then I had this plan which never really happened which was oh I'm going to start doing my own summer classes but you know things life got in the way I never actually started practicing it but you never know I might use it at some point <laughs> <laughs> fantastic
1: um Okay so we've come to quick fire round questions now so if you could change one thing about the world what would it be?
0: I think I would change um, the the education that we give to children about things like mental health and um, how to you know empathize and, and, and be kinder to people that maybe aren't the same as there people with disabilities, people with, you know, mental health problems. I think the problem that we have is that we aren't teaching and ingraining it into our children early enough. And I think that really rings true in kind of all forms of their adult life. So I think there's still a massive stigma with things like mental health and people struggling. I think, you know, the way that, you know, my mum working as a carer, you know, some of the stories she tells me about, you know, di- vulnerable adults... And people with learning difficulties and how different they're treated by people to me is still really, really shocking because I just think to myself, you know, we're in a world where we have all of the education and all of the resources needed to understand it. So why are we not teaching children from kind of an earlier age that these things can happen and how they can deal with that in their kind of adult life? So that is what I would change.
1: And I definitely think we should should be banging the drum for that. That's for certain. And what advice would you give to someone who wants to change their direction, but doesn't know where to start?
0: I would just say you have to you have to push yourself and do it I think even if you are scared of something or if you feel you know that there is so many red flags about doing something or moving I think it's better to have something that you try and maybe doesn't work than to never have tried something and look back and think oh you know I really wish I'd done that in my earlier years or before you know I after I graduated and so on so I think you know Definitely do things that challenge you, but also don't be afraid of them actually, you know, maybe not materializing in the way that you want them to be, because that's okay as well. And you will always find your feet.
1: And what's going to be your next big change?
0: Oh, God. Well, talking about what I've done previously, guys, I don't know. Maybe I'll be a pilot or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a really good question. I think. I haven't really thought about it so much lately, because there's already been quite a lot of change in my life recently. So of course, work wise, I'm I'm pretty kind of stable and so on. But we just got, you know, a new house, I just bought property in London, which was a doer upper. And, you know, that has been a massive change. And it's been super challenging, you know, in London and a house that was, you know, I was living in a construction site for ages. So I think I don't have a big change in plan at the moment, I think, I need to have kind of uh, some stability in where I'm at right now. And that's more kind of personal life in terms of the house and so on. But I'm sure there will be something in the next couple of months or maybe years time where I think, oh, I'm going to go and do X. And I probably will go and do that considering how I've jumped to career paths. But for now, I'm just really content with where I'm at. And, you know, I'm just taking things at my own pace.
1: And um, if you were to recommend someone for me to speak to on the podcast, who would it be?
0: Oh, that's a really interesting question. Now, I'm going to be biased and actually use somebody from my (laughs) organisation. I don't know if that's allowed. You can chop that out if you want. But I would say, um, Neil Gamasma, who is our, uh, who's basically my, I would say senior, he's essentially, he's our uh, vice president. And I would say he is a absolute wealth of knowledge in terms of not only the industry, but he's really, really interesting actually. So I think that should be the next person on your list. Oh,
1: and certainly. I'm sure he's more
0: than willing to do it as well. <laughs>
1: we'll certainly reach out to, to Neil and see if we can get an episode recorded. Um, Maggie, I just want to say thank you for, for obviously joining me. Um, and I love talking through your career story, particularly, uh, um, through student accommodation and hospitality with a, with a few different bits <laughs> thrown in there as well. And, um, you know, I think certain people can take some great advice in, in pushing yourself out of your comfort zone because you never know what, what might lead. And it seems like every time you've done that, albeit you've had challenges along the way, you know, we talked about, you know, moving to, moving to London was a huge one. They've always led on to bigger and better things. So hopefully, hopefully people can take that advice. So, um, so yeah, thanks very much.
0: Thank you so much.